to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Just that uh, song we just sang there, <clears throat> Waymaker, um, we're going to see that. Psalm 136 is just, just a, it's a beautiful song to go along with this song in 136. And so that, that last thing, uh, those last words, the, the one... Um, the one before that with the Waymaker, we just went through the book of Acts. And I kind of challenge us, do we really believe that God's still in the business of working miracles? First of all, you have to believe that he's working miracles with dry bones, meaning dead souls, Ezekiel 37, that there's dead souls around in that. What, what can change that? And, that, and uh, Ezekiel says, Lord, only you know, only you know, and only you can do this. And so then there's this picture of these these these. Uh, fibers and, and muscle forming around these dry bones. And he's like, this is a picture of new life in a, a land filled with just dry, dead souls. And, and God's picture there was, I can bring this to life. I'm the only one that can do that. And so, man, do we believe he's a miracle worker in all these different ways, but he's a way maker, a promise keeper. The things that we're reading in Psalm 136 today, um, that, that he has been faithful. And that's what this psalmist is doing. The psalmist goes back at the beginning and says, here's what we know about you. Here's who you are. And now here's our response. And if we're not careful, it's really easy to be really, really um, familiar with stories about God, familiar and, and well acquainted with, with how magnanimous and how um, just ultimately um, powerful this God is, and to be really bored with it. Yeah, I know the stories. And this psalmist is screaming out going, no, God, we look at what you've done, who you are. You are good in all your creation and all the powerful things that you've done, the conquest and these different things, um, bringing out Israel. Hey, thanks. Or does he go, no, we've got a different response. And so as we look at this, and you may be... Um, at a time where you feel like, man, just been going through darkness for a while, and there's just one single light. And, and things that you've even tried to, to hope that they would bring light to sometimes, and he doesn't allow it to bring light, but there's just one little light, and that's him. And it's bigger than that, but it seems, it seems in all the darkness that there's light. And then that last uh, that, that stanza there, even when I don't see you working, you're working. Man, any times when you just went through months and months and months, and you've been praying, and, and you're praying for this one thing, and it doesn't happen. It definitely doesn't happen today or tomorrow, and sometimes weeks or months. He's working, isn't he? What, what do you learn months later? He was faithful. Didn't end up what you thought it was going to end up. Didn't, didn't come the way that you thought it had to come. Your, your, your version of playing God didn't work out. Your prayer of playing God, here, God, let me give you some advice. Here's what needs to happen. Didn't work out, but, but what, what, what do you look back like this psalmist? Man, look at your faithfulness. Look at your goodness. You are God and you are good. And it's better, even though there was some pain or something, it's better because I got to walk with you through that. And in the middle of that, man, you, you can try to use some props to, to prop yourself up and to try to find some entertainment. And he, he just won't give it to you, right? And so, man, even when you're 
when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop. So, so this thing, thank you, Troy, because, man, purposely, I think it's 26 times, for his faithful, steadfast love endures forever. It's never stopping. It's never stopping. It's never stopping. It's never stopping. To the point that we could get bored with that, that we could go, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. It's never going to stop. But that, that's, that's the reason the psalmist actually is so repetitive with it is because I'm trying to slap you in the face. You need to wake up. You need to wake up with this. I, not like I'm saying it enough to where you'll get, it will come common to you, but I want it to um, come alive in you is the purpose, this repetition. So beautiful song for that. Um, as I said, we're going to be going through these uh, psalms this summer, this one looking at gratitude. And so Psalm 136, if you want to turn there in your device, uh, in your um, paperback version, or we'll have the slides on the screen there. But um, this first one, just wanted just to, to step back, because the psalms overall could be this, this time of praise of who God is, because of who God is and what God has done, it should elicit a response of praise or gratitude or thanksgiving. So, so I wanted to uh, search some psalms that did that. And so um, Psalm 136 is a great one. We're going to learn a little bit of background work. We have to do a little bit of background work. Anytime we go into a, a different book of the Bible, I always like to do a little bit of the intro work of what's the context where does this writer or this, this story here, whether that's one of the Gospels, whether that's one of uh, the epistles in the New Testament, whether that's one of the stories of Old Testament, Testament Israel, we need to do some background work. We need to think through the author. We need to think through the immediate audience who is listening to this as they were writing this, and these were the words from God. But then we also need to think through the significance over time and what was, what was the different interpretations of that. And so getting out what, what the author intended. And so as we look at the Psalms, we have to consider the Psalms, each one of the Psalms individually, but then the whole Psalter. So it's called the Psalter. That's all the Psalms together. Um, all of those were songs. And so you have to think through um, what part does the Psalms play in all of Scripture? Um, so you got to think through this. God's overarching redemptive story. So it's a story. It's 66 books with, with one story. It's not 66 books with, you know, a thousand different little stories that are just randomly placed. And so sometimes you run across stuff and you're reading and it seems like that does not fit at all with what's going on. It does. Our English version may not do as good as the Hebrew did, or we don't know the author's intentions the way that he systematically laid it out because the Holy Spirit's not dumb. Like, it's not like it was Saturday, you know, eight to noon, and he's going, like, Man, I want to go like beach volleyball for a while. And so, oh, I didn't know that that writer was going to write some stuff there. I should have got back because there's some stuff that I would not have included in that. that that's going to mess people up. No, he's smart, right? Like, like our Dave Owens from our Harbor Network, the, the Lord is fine with all the crazy stuff going on. Church. The Lord is fine, kind of an understatement. Like, no, he knows what he's doing here, right? And so um, when you look up there, this overarching redemptive story, I've got that on the screen. Genesis, you got to look at Psalms in the middle of this thread through Scripture that we find out in the New Testament. You, you've got uh, that it's all pointing to Christ, right? It's all redeemed and fulfilled in Christ, and so um, the prophets, and then we had um, the, the minor prophets, and then we have 400 years of silence, and then you have the Gospels. Jesus comes on the scene, the stories of, of his birth and all that, and, and all the epistles and all revelations. So where does Psalms fit in there? And so um, um, speaking in the Psalms, one of the things that we have to consider is um, the Psalms are meant to elicit emotion also. So just like songs, 
um, um, just as Troy was leading. Um, you, you, sometimes you can just feel something going on. And so that's not bad. So you may have come from a church, we're going to do some teaching this summer also, about worship itself. You may have come from a place where any kind of motion, emotion is wrong. So you're supposed to stand like this and just, just intellectually take on the words, intellectually recite back the words. But if it is causing any emotion, then you have to be careful of that. And so I just want to, we, we, I want you to know we don't want to be a place like that. We, I'm a little more charismatic in the worship to where, um, and I'll probably, you guys know me, like I'm probably never going to be the guy just running and waving my hands with streamers. Like I, I'd love to see some of y'all, I, maybe I'll pick out some different people, but I'm probably not going to be the guy running with the streamer, you know, doing those things. And so, uh, but, but man, to, to read truth and to be singing it back to God as we were singing and Troy was leading us there, some of those things, just, it just swells up inside you. And so we, so here's the deal. With worship, sometimes we have used it to manufacture emotions that have very little weak truth. And what I mean with that, a song that's all about me, 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 I'm so special, I'm so great, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, I'm so special. And, and, and it's just these songs, I feel so great, and I feel so powerful, I'm going to go out and kill this next week. That's not wor- that's worship of you, right? And so, feels great, chill bumps, oh gosh, I love that song, I love that's worship of you sometimes. We've manufactured and manipulated emotions. So in a knee-jerk reaction, sometimes we go, well, we, we got to watch out for that. So let's just do this. You know, God, you're so great. Intellectually, you're so great. But we're afraid of some of those emotions. So we should let the truth, the beauties of this magnanimous God, explode into great deeper emotions. So don't be afraid of emotions. Be afraid of manipulated emotions. Let truth blow your mind. If I can scream um, and go crazy at an OU football game, at an 18-year-old kid who's got pigskin filled with air, and he drops it, and I feel like my year is crushed, I just, uh, what are we going to do? What are we supposed to do? Or it's OSU or whatever team that's for you. If we can go that nuts and feel so exhilarated because a guy runs across paint on grass and like like our world has changed, like that's nuts that we can't look, gaze at the God of the creator of the universe and just go, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Hey, what are we having for lunch? And so that's what we do. And this psalmist is going, I'm going to repeat this over and over. And so we don't want to be afraid of emotions. We want to, from out of truth, let your emotions grow. Um, And some of you want some little flyers or banners or something. Uh, We can provide, we can lay them out up here. And so, uh, but what I'm saying is don't be afraid of that. You may have come from places where that was taught, that that godliness is is silence and just this posture. That may be for some people. Um, Again, I'm not going to be running around bouncing off walls, but some people... That may lead them to, to just a little more um, charismatic worship of that. And so don't be afraid of that. The author's intent, we've got to think through, it should bring up, this should lead us to the greatest satisfaction in our life. More than whatever that, that dream lifestyle or dream house or dream paycheck or dream uh, possession, whatever that is for you, dream experience, God is saying, my bet is on myself. God is saying, I am the one that should give supreme pleasure more than these things. And so we know that that's the idolatry that happens so subtly. And so we've got to think through, what, what is this sat, deepest satisfaction? It also speaks to what motivates us. If we say that we're worshipers of Christ, um, it really should make us think through, am I truly a person who is allowing this, these beautiful, beautiful truths to make me fall deeper in love with God? 
Or am I trying to get more biblical knowledge points and then I'm trying to control and just have all these little parameters in this little bitty box that, that I control everything and, and, and that's what godliness is. Theological knowledge points and then me keeping this list. And, I, I, and the better I get at knowledge points, the more lists I have. And that just wasn't what Jesus was trying to do. It wasn't what the, the Gospels and what the New Testament and what the Old Testament was leading us to do. Sure, there was lots of little steps that he had in the Old Testament, but all of it was for what? True worship, just to be amazed at who God is. And so we need to think through. It also speaks to what we truly love because what we truly love, um, that's what we're worshiping, whatever that is. Um, so I threw up there this lifeline. Y'all have seen this before, and I just add, I would add this. So when we're thinking through, um, we've got to, con- we're, again, we're looking at this idea of connecting the Psalms to the whole of Scripture. And so I could, the, the first lifeline says, it's about me and my life and my goals at the end of life. Now God, and this is the American version, it sells really well. You can write books on this. You can grow huge churches because people want to hear this. Uh, my heart wants to hear this. Hey God, here's my goals. Here's what I'm going for. God, your role it's you get to come and make all that happen. I, I want to use you to make my goals happen, God. So that's the first lifeline. That's completely different than the other picture of God's redemptive plan and his end goals of worshipers in heaven who, who, who find out the greatest thing they could ever enjoy for eternity is not fishing with grandpa at a pond in heaven or being restored to grandma and grandpa or my dad or whatever. But like actually God himself is the highlight of heaven. God himself. And and, and he's a really bad, pitiful, weak God if we get there and it's like we get to a lake house that we just rented for the weekend and we're like, oh, this is really crummy. Like if we get to heaven and it's like a letdown, we're like, oh man, I should have lived it up on earth because this is really poor. Is there a group of us that just aren't happy? Can we just do that over there? Like if we get there and he's not enough, he's not satisfying, think through. But he is betting on if you would just spend some time, your heart would be oversatisfied with me. And so you, you see periods in your life like that or you see people where that's it. That there's, a, there's a passion. I remember John Wesley, they, they asked John Wesley on point, they said, um, why, how, why are so many people coming and gathering why are so many crowds, thousands, and it's horseback. Like It's not like you know Fords and Chevys and, and, and uh, Toyotas. It's, it's horseback and walking just days, two and three days to go to one of these revivals. And I said, what, why are they coming for? And he said, I set myself on fire and they come to watch me burn. Like he set himself on fire for Christ and just, just flowing out of his passion for Christ. That, that's addictive. If you've been around somebody, that's addictive. That, that's challenging. When, when you're piddling with, you know, my, my, my most uh, treasured thing is my car. Because I've got this new one, and, and, but the wheels on it, or the, the, the new thing, and, and then I, but I'm going to get another, and I've got another one. Or my, this, this house, or, or this, this new job, or this new person in my life. What, whatever that is. Um, in any of those things, he challenges us to go, hey, you can enjoy this thing, it's good, but it makes a really stinky God. That is not a God. Be careful with that. And so this psalmist is screaming. There's something that your heart wants to attach to. And so looking at God's redemptive plan going, hey, how does my life, my little life, 70 years, 40 years with cancer, 25 years in a car wreck, 18 years in in a tragic accident, how does my life at whatever stage, how does it fit in with your overall purposes? And so um, this is a great one for that. Another thing we have to consider in this is we, we don't want to look at the Psalms. This is very typical with the Psalms where we look at them as puzzle pieces because um, they don't 
Um, they're, they're not a storyline that just has a, a running storyline that goes all the way through. And so they can be kind of broken up. And so you've got, we're going to see a little bit about that in just a second. But it, it's not just random, okay? What I mean by that, um, it's, it's deliberate patterns by the author and by the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's smart, right? He's smarter than us. So Holy Spirit's not dumb, kind of like, oh, I'll just let the humans handle it. He's going, no, here's what I want. And he whispers in the ear, and here's what I want people to hear. So it's not puzzle pieces, not random. It's deliberate patterns. Um, we, we don't see it as clearly, but you don't have to find a secret code, as some people have found out. And you also don't want to go into Scripture like, you know, hey, should I go to McDonald's on the right side or Arby's on the left? Just want to please you, Lord. Just want to glorify you in all I do. Lord, is it Arby's on the right or McDonald's on the left? Like, that's, not, that's dot theology. Like, where you, you, if you make the wrong decision, God's like, ha-ha, you made the wrong. You didn't do it right. You didn't pray long enough. You didn't read the Bible long enough. I, I got you. You're going to be miserable. You're going to get sick today. And like, some people literally, literally live in that. So dot theology versus like, no, God, God's going to bless you. Uh, we want to have, do we want to have six kids or we want to have two kids? All kinds of things. Should I marry this person? Should I marry this person? So just so this dot theology just says that you, you, there's a chance that you, if you don't get all the codes right from your Bible time, that you're going to miss it. And so um, that, that's not correct. So you have to think through author's intent and deliberate patterns. Now let's look at these deliberate patterns. This is a thing of what kind of literature is the Psalms. So um, some of you have heard of these, uh, chi- a chiastic structure or a chiasm. So what this is, so the Hebrew, um, they, would, they would do this. So, so see the Hebrew letters? So on the ends, both the right side and the left side, so those two would go together and they would be on the ends that would both be similar in the main thought. And then the second piece purposely on both ends um, the, the second verse and then the next to the last verse would be this, that those sentences would be the same. So it's a very simple way to see it in this, this uh, um, verse underneath there. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. So do you see the corresponding parts? And so um, a, a chiasm is that where a sequence of statements or ideas or thoughts are, are presented and then it backs itself out, repeating that in a reverse order. And so we don't see that in the English sometimes. It does not come across as clearly. So um, that's a deliberate pattern. And so um, the, the Psalms are full of that. Um, I will say there's some people that sometimes even in New Testament stuff, I don't believe that all the New Testament letters were written in that. And some, some guys, really great scholars on some things, they will try to stick this uh, chiastic structure on other things. I'm like, you're really, really stretching this. Like they're trying to form, like force it into a chiastic structure. And like even my professor was like, I, I don't get this. I don't think that's there sometimes. Paul was just saying this. And so, but, but in the Psalms, definitely in some po- poetic um, literature. So you have to see these larger thematic patterns the whole of the Psalter, um, and then also um, the smaller ones. So this, you can see the next one there, um, um, the next slide words, um, these, these chiastic structures, um, think of it as this order and outline. So when we look at the Psalms, now we're looking at Psalm 136. Um, so if you see, here's the structure there. So you probably wouldn't notice this. You read 136 verse 1, um, give thanks to the Lord for he is good his love endures forever, right? His steadfast love endures forever. So that goes back to 107.1. So 107.1 and 136 one were two pieces put together. It's called, I think it's an inclusio. And, and inclusion or inclusio where they both happen to start and, and they actually formed them this way together. So between those things, from 107 to 114, um, the writer together is putting together this, this picture of the Exodus, the new Exodus. And then verse, uh, chapters 115 through 118, Psalm 115 through 118, there's this warning against idolatry. Makes sense, right? So you know the theme of Israel? We get out in freedom. God brings us out of slavery. What do they do? Let's find us a golden calf. 
let's go worship something. You know, and God's like, it was me. Stop doing this, right? And so he's like, hey, I bring you guys out. New Exodus, warning against idolatry. Then 119 goes to celebrate Torah. So you guys know 119 is the huge, long one. And so you may not know this. It's, it's, uh, uh, it uses the Hebrew alphabet, and they use every letter in the Hebrew alphabet to start a new section of Psalm 119. So it's all about God's word. And so um, it's that one that, you know, that's every single verse in it talks about God's word. I think there are maybe three to four verses. Um, But they use the Hebrew alphabet and every section is based off of the letter. The the first uh, wording is based off that letter. So there's structure in that. And then after celebrating the Torah that's talked about God's word and all this, the natural thing would be to go as they were on their traveling uh, uh, trips to Jerusalem. So for Passover... As you went up, so you've heard of songs of ascent or psalms of ascent. It was literally going up to Jerusalem. So these are the psalms that they literally memorized. 120 through 134, families and whole caravans of people would sing these psalms walking up the the great hills to get into Jerusalem. So songs of ascent, going up. Um, And let him go up is this theme. And then, of course, what happens when you get there? It's easy to turn to idolatry again. And so then they have this, this um, uh, pronounced uh, warning again against um, idolatry. Don't turn back. And then 136, what we're looking at today, this new exodus. Then 137 through 145 is anticipating and enjoying the new Davidic king. And then 146 through 150 is all those extremely praiseful um, uh, songs looking back at all that God has done. And now we know about this new Davidic king, Messiah, who's coming. So, so a lot of people go, I thought the Psalms were just kind of random. I know there's you know, five to ten that are together. But when you look at it that way, now we get a picture of the way that that should be. So um, let's look at this going through 136. I know that, so that I always have to do a lot of background work. And so that I hope that helps as we go through the Psalm, the Psalms this summer. And so we'll, we'll kind of hit on some of those things, but I didn't want to just dive into this. Um, I'm going to skip that next slide that talked about that. So let's go to 136. Um, Let's read through this. I give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone, to him alone who does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down, so notice the the separation there, verse 17, verse 10, the second time he's talked about a striking down. 
to him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. Notice the change there. All passed to this point, and now it's us, present tense. For his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. For his steadfast love endures forever. So Father, we do just pause and give you thanks. For all these beautiful things that you have done. For the beautiful power. The beautiful outstretched arm that you have reached out and saved us, that you have brought us out of slavery and sin, just like you did bringing Israel out of Egypt. We, we praise you and give you thanks for the beautiful sun. We thank you for the sun. We thank you for the moon. We thank you for your creation. We thank you for the conquest that you've done in our lives. And we thank you for who you are, and we want to respond correctly. So will you help transform us? Will you change our hearts as we um, go further this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So um, the first thing to just see there, that the first part, he is good and he is God alone. So, so just notice there, give thanks to the Lord, and, and yours should have L-O-R-D capitalized, and so that's Yahweh. And so, and remember that, and, and so some, some people say Yahweh, some people say Yahweh. The, the, in the Hebrew, the actual pronunciation, is, there's no, there's no uh, um, vowels for them. So it's just like, Ugh. So they literally, would, and they, certain, certain kids would not be allowed to pronounce it in parts of Israel. They wouldn't even say it, but just like this, and like it comes from deep down. And so uh, that, that there was this profound awe and reverence for saying Yahweh. And so um, give thanks to Yahweh, for, for he is good. Um, give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. So, so have you considered the package of God's goodness? Just, just his goodness. Think of the person that um, is an atheist that believes God doesn't exist. Just thinks of um, all these random atoms and molecules. And think of God's goodness to them. Think, think through people who have nothing to do with God, nothing to do with church. Uh, they just go on with life. Um, God daily lavishes enjoyment of life, work, spouse, friends, children, energy, breath, Beautiful scenery, success, pleasurable acts and experiences, food, sustenance, health for decades and decades and decades and decades, and yet they refuse to give him thanks. Christians or people that there's a lot of people um, looking at writing, I guess, a lot of thoughts on just, I believe in God. Like, I believe in God, but I've got a lot of options. I believe in God, but I'm opting out of all of these things. And so that's the Bible Belt. That's American Christianity. But people that would say, oh, I believe in God. I'm just not going to do these big categories of obedience. And so in that, um, think through those people, like very hardened hearts, because they, they want a God. They want the idea of salvation, but they want to be in control. I don't have to really do everything. I'm doing some really good things for God. So that, that equals out the things that I refuse to do for God. 
or I refuse to obey God in these things, but I'm doing some really good things for in some other areas, so that equals out. Maybe, maybe the person that Jesus says, hey man, depart from me. You, you never understood me. Depart from me. Didn't, but because what does Jesus go to in that? Didn't we do all these things? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, depart from me. You never, you never understood me. You never understood submit. You never understood salvation from sins. You never understood repentance. And so um, all those people, look at God's goodness that he pours out on us. Even rebellious Christians, um, stagnant Christians. Think of the goodness that he does. And so rejected love, all the things that he's done for us, that he's provided, and we in so many ways just reject his love. And yet he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. But he's also God alone. So think through this. He is set apart. There's no other God like him. In verses 2 and 3 there, um, the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And he's not saying there are other gods and I'm just a little bit better. Like there's a top 10 list of gods and they're real and they're actual gods that deserve worship. I'm just better. I'm number one. He's going, no, th- those are demonic. Those are not really gods and lords. Um, they, they're, they're not that. So he's not giving justification to those things. But think through... Um, just um, as we were talking earlier about those, the, the, the ideas of um, when, when, when you come and, and come to church and we sing these songs or we listen to God's word, two different routes you could take. Is the sermon going to be thinking through all week long, how can I make these people feel really great about themselves when they leave? So you walk away like, man, thank you, says a great thing. I really feel, I, I'm just so really good. And so I'm just so great. And man, I, I, and I, he promised that if I just am trying to be a good person, then all my goals are going to work out. And God's blessing that. So that could be every sermon. I walk out getting my car. What am I thinking of? What's the central thought? Me, me, me. God's coming to make me happen. Or completely different type of preaching where it's when you leave, you should feel pretty small. Not, not stupid or smack down because God doesn't want you to do that, but, but a humbled state of brokenness like, wow, I do really think highly of myself. You should be thinking more about God when you leave, not how great you are. You should be amazed and brought low to go, wow, even after all I've failed in, look at what God has done. Why would you do this? Why would you continue to, to give grace on my life? Why would you pour out repeated opportunities for salvation and salvation that I just rejected and rejected and rejected? So we should leave thinking how great God is. So think through number one and number two of the Ten Commandments. Just that, that hey, he is good. He, he's God of God, Lord of lords, that, that you shall have no other gods. And then also, you shall not make an idol. Number one and number two of the, the, the Ten Commandments. Great commandment. Jesus verifies New Testament. Number one commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the emphasis and the motivating force behind um, the Great Commission? That he's worthy of you living a life of being a witness and making disciples of him because he's worthy of that. That's the motivating factor, the catalyst there. So uh, remember that the author is thinking through, I want you to understand that this God, this God is worthy of your time. So he is God above all gods, above all lords. He is set apart. Um, all those things. And think through for the believer, it's also an issue of, this is a command. This is an issue of obedience. If I opt out of this and just don't give God thanks, I'm actually omitting 
And, and sinning by omitting. So you have sins of commission where you commit acts that are sinful, and you have sins of omission. I refuse to pray. I refuse to give. I refuse to be a part of a body. I refuse to worship you the way that you would have us worship. I refuse these things. And so you're omitting things. That's sinful. So first is your heart satisfied in God himself, that he is good. And then the second thing there, just give thanks, his goodness and his works in creation. And look at those who alone does great wonders. Now notice what he goes through here. He goes through the same presentation that you have in the book of Genesis, who made the heaven through his understanding, just his mind, he made the heavens, who spread out the earth above the waters, who made the great lights. We know he's talking about the sun and the moon. So think through that. The storyline of God, what we're trying to compare. Remember, other deities, other um, philosophies, other religions had um, ideas of deities that battled together. The God of the moon battling the God of the sun. The God of the ocean and the seas battling the God of fertility. All these different gods. And, 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 and this psalmist goes, no, no, no. It's not all these other gods that take different forms. There's one true God. He made all those things. Those are created objects. The sun, the moon, don't worship them. Look to God and thank God. Yesterday morning, I got. I was driving. is early, and uh, we were headed to Norman. And, and like the sun came, and it was just that beautiful morning. And literally, I, I found myself three or four times just going, "Hey God, thanks again for the sun." It wasn't even a beautiful sunset. That's a different thing. So and think through that. But just think through maybe what if we were people that would just all of us this week five days went, "Hey God," as soon as we walked outside, God, thank you for the sun. Think the, the physics, the metaphysics of that, just, just like gravitational pull. Anyone thankful for gravity? Uh, what about heat? That he designed it perfectly. Think through this. I'd love to see our media. If, if scientists said, hey, we're really concerned. Everyone just like, hey, a big announcement. We just found out, uh, technology advanced, the sun this next year is going to change five degrees. Not, not what we receive, but the sun itself is going to go up five degrees, like just you're, you're melting, like you're done, right? If the sun changed just 1%, like it would be catastrophic, right? So all these different, it has the heat, the heat strokes and all these different things that can happen. But if the sun changed itself in, in just little percentages, the ripple effects would be huge. Now we wouldn't find out, they're like, hey, this happened this many years ago. And so in all those things, there's all this, this, this stuff just, and God goes, hey, I just said, let there be light. And it's that powerful, that perfect. Not to mention that, that, that our, so not it's utilitarian, utilitarian use, but anyone like sunsets and sunrises, just beautiful. Think through, God's not six foot tall. Like Jesus might have been 5'10", five, 5'11", five, something, probably another six foot Middle Eastern like that. But anyway, uh, the point is that he, he, he knew how to take a view from a person our height on the earth and look up at the painted sky. Because you understand he's outside of that, right? You know, he's not like hidden in a cave or something. But he went, hey, let me just show off how creative and how artistic I can be. Here's, some, here's a trillion different colors that I can do every single night, just, just from your perspective, for your own enjoyment. And he just says, let there be light. And again, the moon, look, think through the trillions of people I mean, trillions of dollars, trillions of hours, um, people who've dedicated their whole life scientifically to do what? Just to get some, 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 some gravel from the moon, right? Just to, let's find out, is there life? What, what are the different uh, molecules that are on the moon? People spend lifetimes, and God's going, it doesn't even light itself. It's a rock floating, and, and people are mesmerized and dedicate their life to it and never even touch it. And yet, 
God just said, let there be light. And so all of those things, um, just, just in God's creation. So he has this created order he goes through. Um, are you amazed at God by those things? Or is that, <sighs> it's easy to do. Even sunsets. We love the sunset. We don't look to God beyond the sunset. That Man, thank you for that. Every evening, thank you for that, God. That was for our sake, just for our own good. Are you amazed at God and his goodness and that he is God alone? Um, he also, um, in that you think through the different gods and different words, well, we'll go into this in a second. Um, also, let's turn to the, the third part. Give thanks to his goodness and work and rescue. This is the biggest thing that the, the psalmist wanted to bring out. In verse 10 and verse 17, he talks about the God who struck down. Very purposeful in that. So he struck down the firstborn of Egypt. He brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand, strong arm, he divided the Red Sea into. He made Israel pass through, and then he overthrew Pharaoh and his host of the army. And then he provided for his people in the wilderness. So what's that the story of? That's the story of Exodus, right? Hey, Moses, go tell him, let my people go. Huge aspect. When God was in the Old Testament, when he would go into a new area or there would be people, what did he say? Like, who did God want to be known by? Did he say, hey, this is Yahweh. My son Jesus is coming. He's going to die on the cross for your sins. Put your trust in me. Bow your head. Repeat this prayer after me. Did he do that? No. What was his, his, his name back then? What, what did he be known by? Hey, this is God. This is the, the Lord God Almighty who brought you out of Egypt. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This people, I brought you out of the land of slavery. Repeatedly, God refers to himself. This is what I want you to know about me, this picture there. So it was not just, just miraculous rescue at the Red Sea, but and it wasn't just the, 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 the 10 plagues. So he goes into this story of, hey, remember this God who we were in slavery. So what's that a picture for New Testament people? We weren't in America. We weren't in slavery in Egypt. What were we in slavery to? Sin. Why is that such a big theme for him? He wants to see you were in slavery. You couldn't do anything about it. And I ripped you out. I pulled you out. So the whole Passover, what was the Passover? The, 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 when he says the first line there, I struck down the firstborn of Egypt. So what is the picture of a believer's life? Hey, Pharaoh, I've given you nine warnings, nine plagues. The 10th one's going to be bad. The firstborn child of everyone who doesn't believe in this God, the child's going to die tonight. You believers who put your faith in this God, your God fear, take uh, an animal, get its blood, and, and take a paintbrush. They had those back there. They got them at Lowe's. And, they, and you would mark that, you would get that blood and wipe it around your door. So what's that, that door frame with blood around? What's that a picture of? That next morning, as you're standing safely in this door frame, that was a picture of Christ. That's what that blood represented. And you heard screams, people running out in the street scream because thousands upon thousands upon thousands of moms and dads lost their baby. Angel of death. You want to go deeper? Some people say, same wording, could have been Jesus, a pre-incarnate Jesus doing that. So if you view God the Father, old miserly guy, Jesus 2.0, much nicer. Some people hint that that could have been Jesus who performed that in in Egypt. So if you want to go study that, I'm not, I don't know where I land on it, but I mean, that, that's a different view of Jesus, right? So like, you're like, wow, it kind of fits with the revelation, Jesus, doesn't it? And so, um, but beautiful picture there. That's important. Passover. When did Jesus get killed? Rides in the, on the mule. Um, Palm Sunday, then goes in town on Passover. What was that a picture of? Them being inside that. And God's going, do you remember me? That whole story there. 
was to get us this picture of Passover and that you were passed over. Some were saved, some were killed. And so that's a hard story. It says, you struck down the firstborn. I brought you out of slavery. And then what happens as soon as God brings them out of slavery? They, they get out and Pharaoh goes, get out of here. You've destroyed my people. They get out there and what happens? We're stuck. The Red Sea can't do anything about it. What do we do? And we just sang about that. You have to have God showing up as a way maker, a miracle worker, God. And then what do the people do? What do we do? Um, this is the power of indwelling sin. It takes what God has led you to, bringing you out of slavery. Egypt, bring them out of Egypt. Here's the Red Sea. God has led you to this, and sin tells us it's not good enough. It would have been better if I would have stayed back in there. They repeatedly said that. It makes what God has provided look bad and tempts you to look back at former places of slavery and desire that you could be there again. It looks better than God's saving work and rescue. Um, it makes God's way look bad and impossible and makes sin and slavery look better. And yet God shows up and says, I showed up. My powerful hand, I separated the Red Sea. Israel went by on dry ground and I collapsed the waves and killed Pharaoh, most powerful person you know, of any world leader at the time. And God says, he's nothing and his army is nothing. And Israel, you are weak and small and look what I did. So that's the picture. He's saying, that's it. God has things to teach us in those processes. The next part he mentions there is the wilderness. I provided for you in the wilderness. And God has things to teach us while we're going through periods of wilderness. Some of you are going to go through periods of wilderness um, to show his presence and his provision. He will allow that. Now, we would want to be lifted out immediately, but God has purposes in the wilderness that he doesn't just pull you out. Um, some of you are going to go through those wilderness times. God may seem distant, completely removed, yet he is present. It feels like he's not, but he has purposes in those wilderness times. In that next section, he says, we're going to give thanks to him for his goodness, his works through conquest. So that is a picture of him striking down. So remember Joshua, the people of Israel are huge now. And then Moses and, and his generation, they go up to the line of the promised land. God does, says, hey, doesn't this look great? Too bad. You still worship idols and you complained and didn't trust me. You're not going in. So Joshua leads the conquest. Remember the, the grasshoppers? Hey, we, we can take this. We've got the Lord on our side. And uh, the other spies are like, no, no way, uh, no way. It's, it's powerful people. And Joshua's like, we've got God on our side. Let's go. Let's do this. And, and the conquest. And, and that's easy for us, our generation. We can't imagine what it would be to be a people small and weak and overpowered and oppressed and to come out of that and to then be on the other side to where you've defeated, you know, 50 different tribes, and you've inherited their cities that they worked for decades on. And now you've got all that, and you look back and go, God provided every bit of this. Look what you've provided, God. And so he is powerful in those conquests. So that's a stick picture of his earthly conquests. And then the psalmist turns to present rescue and renewal as we're closing. Um, in 136, 23 through 26 there, it's he who remembered us in our lowest state. So he turns from God's goodness and works in past events with Israel to look where we're at. Now, different scholars believe where was this, this author, this writer at? Were they in Babylon and they were facing horrible times like a Red Sea, like now we've done it again, we've sinned, we've had idolatry. God's always remembered us. God's always protected us. God's always provided. We need you to do that again. So they, there's different estimates on where they're at. It, it's not necessary to know exactly where that's at. They argue about that. 
The point is for us to take from that, so present rescue and renewal. And so here we are in our time with present rescue and renewal needed, our own lives. Um, It will be tempting in dark hours to feel like God has forgotten you, God has looked over you, God is done with you, and yet he's not. Just like that song that we just sang, he's still renewing. His steadfast love endures forever. And the last section there, give thanks to the God of heaven. Now the writer turns to looking at our eternal home. They've had the promised land, and now he's going beyond even the promised land and being Israel, the people. We know there's a Messiah coming, a Davidic king, but what about after we die? The eternal. And so he says, praise be to the God of heaven. Give thanks to the God of heaven. And so the beauty in that, think through, it's never going to stop. God's overarching redemptive story, eternity. Um, why did Yahweh create in the first place? We go back to the first stanza. We, we give thanks to you because you created these things. He didn't have to. Um, he was not lonely, not empty, not bored. So why did he create? His steadfast love. That's why, love. Why did Yahweh rescue and redeem out of slavery and out of sin? He didn't have to. Not, not even one person deserved it, but instead deserved wrath instead. Why rescue and redeem? Just because of his love. Just because of that. Didn't have to. Rejected love, rejected love, rejected love times, you know, just, just millennia from each person, but because of love. Why did Yahweh conquer evil forces and give an inheritance of a future promised land? Why conquer and provide? Because of love. And so you might have noticed, we didn't spend a lot of time looking at his steadfast love endures forever. I did that on purpose because my point, and the reason I did it, was to emphasize this is exactly what the writer is doing in his intent. I'm repeating this so many times because you look over it, because you take it for granted, because you enjoy these things that he's provided and don't turn and give thanks to him. You enjoy all these things in life and you don't pause and go, the reason he gave me this wife, these children, this beautiful place, these relationships, these people, this wonderful salvation, rescuing me out of sin. The reason he did that, his steadfast love endures forever. We, we, we just take it for granted, especially as American Christians sometimes. You ask a Chinese Christian who's been persecuted and they've lost a family member. I remember talking to one pastor. He said that he went in and he thought he was just doing this little training for local pastors in China. And a guy comes and, and they're like kind of really worried about this guy. And he comes and he makes it to this you know, midnight little hut and there's like six of them gathered. And so they're like, hey, man, yeah, we're kind of worried. And this American guy's like, I'm supposed to be training these guys. And, you know, teaching them uh, to have better strength and, you know, uh, to fight through with perseverance. And that guy's like, yeah, it's just been really, you know, it's been really tough. And then they introduced him and said, yeah, so his wife and children were tied up and burned, but he's going to keep the church going. And this American guy was like, what do I have to offer? I need to get a thousand of our pastors over and sit and learn from this guy. And this guy was sitting ready to take notes. Because he's going, doesn't matter. I'm going back out there and I'm going to continue to, to preach the gospel to people. We take for granted his steadfast love. My wife, my kids. I don't know what that fight would be like, but it would be bad. Like they start doing that stuff and then to go the next month, I'm going back with the gospel. 
His steadfast love is worth it. His steadfast love endures forever. Um, Think through God's unchanging, immutable core. Um, From before creation, before he even created, through creation, all he's done, through all human history, all forms of evil that have occurred, the heightened climax of redemption provided with cross of the Christ, through the church age, and then through all of eternity, this can be screamed and experienced and celebrated to him. His love has no end. Um, think through when you're facing temptation this next week, um, that feeling of fear or repeated failure, that feeling of hatred towards yourself, that feeling of shame and regret and guilt because I did it again, I did it again. I always fall for this. And God's going, hey, stop, I'm not crushing you. Stop, turn to me. Look, look, look at me. Embrace me. Look at me. I'm not crushing you. I'm offering peace. I'm offering grace. I'm offering forgiveness. However bad you've blown it, come to me. Come to me. I love you. My steadfast love endures forever. That's what motivated me to save you. That's what motivated me to cover your sins. I I killed my son. I had my son slaughtered so you could keep coming to me. My steadfast love endures, endures, endures through all your crap, all your horrible things, all your repeated sin. My love endures for you. Don't you get that? And then think through your greatest day, whatever that would be, your greatest week. I, 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 could, I could come up with those real easy. Like, what would that be like? You know, this greatest week, greatest day, all these things. Um, and, and then you think through, man, in heaven, perpetually better and better and better. Again, year 1,000, we're not gonna be like, oh man, like this really stinks. Like, anyone want to go back to Hawaii on earth? Hawaii was phenomenal. Like, this, that one part of heaven is just really pitiful. He's not going to be outdone. He's not going to have us go like, you know, like, this is kind of lame, God. And so, all through eternity, in those moments, those greatest moments of eternity, most pleasurable, most satisfying, most enjoyable days and events and weeks that we will even, our minds can't even wrap around what that's going to be like. This psalmist is right. Pause. In eternity, phenomenal event, phenomenal experience, give thanks. Look how good he's been. His love is why you're here. His love enduring forever is why that you're standing there experiencing that. It's never going to end. He is good. He is God. It's perpetual, indescribable goodness and, and his work that brought us to that point. It's unremovable. So, and all he has made, his steadfast love is lavished and poured out extravagantly without fear or waste, recklessly, if we think in those terms, uh, that, that not one worthy or deserving, not one who had not rejected his love. Um, Bible says that not even one of those is righteous. His steadfast love, most passionately seen and experienced in the sending of his own perfect holy son, and to set up the circumstances to pour out wrath on his son, so that we could have his steadfast love. To take Jesus and move him to the side, out of the city, and pour wrath on him so he could truly say to us, my steadfast love endures forever because of what he took for you. So a beautiful thing that that the psalmist then comes to this eternal picture, and we know that's all in Christ. So as I pray, um, as Troy comes back up, 
We'll do a song in response, but I want you to think through just your walkaways. What, what do we walk away trying to think through as we walk out of this place? Is your mind thinking of the great magnanimous God or are you thinking about um, yourself? Now, maybe yourself and, and your sin, and that's, that, that's, that's, that's workable, but are you thinking and having a mind and a heart with, with a growing, expansive, expansive idea of, of who God is and what he's done? What he has done and worked for us, it demands a response. So I just want to give you some time as, as Troy comes up to the, lead us in this song. I'm going to pray. And um, I didn't want to give specifics on this. I want to leave that to you. But just thinking in those terms, in light of what you've done just in my own life and who you are, God, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe you're just trying to be a Christian and keep all the rules and you grew up in this house where that was all it. And, and you want to experience God not a list of your rules, but, but God himself. Would you, would you begin to scratch the surface on that? Would you let me know who you are and what you've done? And specifically, not only for us as a corporate body, but for, for my own life, even that's been jacked up, that my sin has been taken over, that my sin has been placed on Christ. And I want to believe that more. I want to I experience you more in that. Um, give thanks. His love endures forever. Father, we, we do come to you just humbled. We are so quickly um, distracted by very, very good gifts from you. And we look and we prize and we idolize and treasure these things that you provided. And yet we need to pause and look back and give thanks to you for the sun, for the moon, for sunsets and sunrises, for relationships, for, for our, our houses, security. Most importantly, and extravagantly for, for, for Christ and him taking on the wrath that we deserved. So we thank you so much. We give thanks to you. We want to have hearts of gratitude, hearts of grateful wonder and awe at what you've done and who you are in your very being and that you have lavished love upon us. We can't imagine what heaven's going to be like that 10,000 years, 10 million years that we would still sing the same thing, give thanks because he's good and he is God and his steadfast love is still enduring. It will not stop and will not stop and will not stop. We can't fathom that. You didn't even allow us to have minds to, to bring that in. And so we pray that you would allow our hearts to expand in worship of you. We thank you that you are so wonderful and awe-inspiring that we can't exhaust our emotions or our thoughts towards you. So now would you do a work in us? that leads to obedience, leads to right actions and, and right doctrine, but let it flow out of our worship of who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.